Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to episode one of The Failure of Christians, A Plea for Renewal. Sit back, hang on. This is a bit challenging. It needs to be said. I think if Jesus was sitting here, this is what he'd say. So I want you to think about it. Has the church failed God in this country, in other countries? Have Christians failed God in the time in which we live? We know that mainland Europe is an area that once flourished with Christianity is now quite dry, very few Christian movements, very few Christians, highly secularized nations. Most churches have failed in England, and yet not all. There is a remnant, there are a few, and oh, have we learned a lot from them over the years. Every year we take a group over there and we have made friends with the key leaders of a movement within an otherwise dismal disaster of Christianity in a nation, England, where 4% of the people claim to be Christians now. It's just horrible, and that's where America's going next. But yet then there are these guys, these guys that lead these churches, these people, these Christians in these churches that have caught a wonderful sense of renewal. Now, in America today, I hear pastors all the time bemoan the godlessness of activities that we see on television and the news every single day. It just seems to be growing by leaps and bounds every week, every month. But you know what? Rarely do I ever hear a preacher say anything about our negligence as churches, our negligence as Christians. So this is not the first time this has ever happened in history, this scenario. You can see it all over the Old Testament. You can see it at times in the New Testament. You can read about it in the epistles where the apostles write to these churches to straighten them out because they're getting off track. And when that happens, it's the role of a prophet. A prophet is someone who says the hard word. It's the person who finds it necessary, a call from God, to basically tell it like it is. And, you know, prophets are not always people's favorite people, but sometimes hard word helps. I myself am not a prophet. It's not my calling. It's not my gift. But as someone who works with churches for the last 40 years, as we at Church Doctor Ministries spend most of our time working with Christians and churches in an effort for renewal, revival, get back to the Bible, become effective, change the world, do the mission, follow the Great Commission, do what Jesus called us. He has people like that. It's really clear. Somebody has to stand up, and these are hard words. I'd like to say don't take it personally, but I really hope you do, because it's really clear that we need to hear some prophetic words. And so fasten your seatbelt, because I think that's what this is all about. You know, so many churches are shamefully complicit. So many Christians, shamefully complicit. So many failures. It's just not right. Now, to be clear, my focus in this episode is not to focus on those occasional pastors who have an affair or an elder who lies or a deacon who has an alcohol issue or the church treasurer that stole from the church. Not to condone that stuff, because the Bible calls that sin. It happens all the time. It's part of the human condition. But part of our confession as Christians is that we're sinners, and every sin is as awful as every other sin. And we have scales for them, but that's not in the Bible. 
You know, if you get caught gossiping, it's no different than murder. Most people wouldn't buy that, but you can't say different from the Bible. Sin is sin is sin. That's why we are church, because we are sinners. If we were perfect, there'd be no need for church. There'd be no need for baptism. There'd be no need for communion. There'd be no need to have preachers. For that matter, there'd be no need for Jesus if we were perfect. So by being a Christian, by being a church, we are standing up and saying, hey, world, we get it. We are not perfect. We're just on a journey looking for Jesus' forgiveness and his power to share that good news that you can be forgiven for all your screw-ups by the blood of Jesus. And that's a message this world needs to hear. Now, no, this is really not a prophetic rant, but it's about our corporate sin of impotence in the church. And it's not a judgment, and it's not to be mean. It's to get our attention, and it really does find its origin in love and deep concern for our world, for the potential of our churches. So we just need to do what Jesus commanded to impact the world, the world around us, for Jesus and his saving grace. Truthfully, it is the only hope for anyone. It's the only hope for anything. It is the only hope for you, for me. It is the only hope for our world. So yeah, sometimes prophets have to say the hard word. It's just part of the whole counsel of God. And the prophets weren't perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But the word has to be said to myself, to you, in our churches, to Christians. It just has to be said. Because, you know, we got a tremendous challenge. It's called the decline of our society. You know, government people, politicians, they try to legislate morality. You can't do it. You cannot make enough laws to make society safe healthy, productive, a nice place to be. No one can do that except Jesus, but it's an inside job, not a legislature activity. So what's the flavor of sin for this week? Government corruption, sexual assault, opioid addictions, mass shootings. I'm telling you people, we're out of control. More cops, more laws, more death, more distractions. Where's the end of all of this? And what's the answer? Yeah, we're facing the disintegration of culture. We're on a downward spiral. Broken families, rising suicides, raging anger, and amazing loss of hope. And Christians are wringing their hands. How horrible. Our next-gen kids are wandering from the faith. Criminals creep and Christians sleep and churches decline, and spirituality becomes irrelevant on national standards. And these remnant little groups in declining churches with empty seats facing default face a world that's really hostile. You know, for every time you hear about God in literature and films, it's almost always about God damning this or that. Is anybody else offended that they kick our God in the head like that? Now the F-bomb is sacred and God is silent because God's people are silent, because God's people are ineffective. So when it comes to influence in this world, just who do you think is winning this battle? And just who do you think is losing this battle? 
Yep, church is declining. Not all of them. There's some that are growing, and there are others that are appearing to grow, but are actually gathering Christians from churches that don't have the same bells and whistles. But in truth, they're not reaching the cutting edge. They're not reaching the unchurched people, which is the bottom line. That's who Jesus died for. And so, yeah, most churches are struggling, and Christians shake their heads in despair. Well, how about this? Instead of shaking your head, get off your butt and on your knees. Then get off your knees and on your feet. This world needs Christians who are on a mission. This world needs Christians working together in what we call churches on a mission, God's mission, the mission of Jesus. It's why he came. It's why he lived. It's why he died. It's what he taught. It's what he empowered through resurrection and the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing anemic about Jesus. There's nothing missing in the Bible. It's the issue of Christians abdicating their responsibility, their mission, their calling, their opportunity, their joy of making the world a different place, one person at a time. Yeah, we Christians, the church, yeah, we're culpable for a good part of our nation's ills. Quit pointing at the symptom and look at the origin. We have lost the country. We have lost the civilization. We have lost the values, the beliefs, the attitudes. We have lost the priorities. We have lost the worldview of most of the people in the nation. I've written about that and that culture of the kingdom in my book, Who Broke My Church?, I never really wanted to write a book with a negative title, even though the subtitle is Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival. But somebody's got to get our attention, and that is a prophetic question. Who broke my church? Well, let's talk about that. Let's look at some issues behind the issues, some causative drivers that are messing up what God has called us to do. All that power, all that power of God at our fingertips, all that power of forgiveness, and God's grace that we have in our hearts, and yet we're not delivering it to our world. So I want to name four isms that are part of the challenges that churches face. Now, this isn't just a whim or an idea or a dream I had last night because I ate too much for dinner. This is based on 40 years and 1,600 congregations and 5,000 interviews with Christians one-on-one, and thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of surveys with Christians in churches and observations and tons of reading and working with other scholars. And I could go on and on. And I don't mean to oversimplify this, but there are four big isms that are at issue here. If I were you, I'd write them down and share them with other people or share this podcast. The number one is not because it's first, it's just one of four. But it's a huge issue of some churches, not all, some Christians, not all, but it's the ism of syncretism. Now, syncretism is a word that missionaries learn, and they're warned about syncretism when they go to do mission work in another culture, because in another culture, like a secular culture that we live in, if you're going to be a missionary, you need to bring 
the message of Jesus, which never changes in content, but you need to bring it in a form that is called indigenous to the people you're trying to reach. In other words, you got to speak their language. And the language is not just English or Spanish or Swahili or whatever. The language is all sorts of things. The language includes the chairs you use in church. And if you have a 21st century church, it ain't pews. So you need to indigenize the building, the signs, the language. You know, people don't dream about other people in the words of thee and thou anymore. We don't use those words anymore. And because Jesus was incarnate, came in the flesh, he made it really clear that he wanted the great news of God's love in Jesus to be indigenous, to be in the heart language of the people. And guess what? That changes from time to time. And it's greatly changed in our nation. You don't change the content, however. That's syncretism. When you take the teaching of the Bible and you water it down because, oh, that's going to offend people. Guess what? Jesus said the gospel is an offense. So if you think you can water it down and win people for Jesus, you're kidding yourself because you're winning people to something else. You can't change the content. And so I'm sorry, the Bible says what it says, and if you don't like it, and if it's not the local trend, whether it has to do with abortions or marriage of people of the same sex, I'm sorry. It's not my problem. Take it up with God. But he think he knows what's right for people. And you start messing with that stuff to make your church more friendly to unchurched people, you are going down a sorry road, I'll tell you that, in every single case. And you could see this in recent history going back the last hundred years in this nation. Those people that go to the far left to the point where they're rearranging what the Bible says, I don't mean obscure passages, I mean when it's absolutely clear. You do that, you're just absolutely gutting the power that God wants to give your church, and you are on the road for destruction. You're putting a gun to the head of your church, the body of Christ, and over time, it just doesn't work. You can't mess with the content. On the other hand, you must continually change the packaging, that container of the content. So if you want to dress up like a monk, go ahead. But that's not the way people dress nowadays. And it really doesn't send a good message. It's, it makes you look like an alien. Where Jesus didn't dress like a monk. He didn't come looking like somebody from outer space or in any form of dress of some other kind of culture. He came looking and dressing like the other people. If you want to look foreign because being a Christian is different, you're really screwed up because it's not the looks, it's not the container. That needs to be indigenous. You need to speak the language of the people in every way to touch their hearts. That's just common sense. It's also biblical mission. But when you start messing with the content, and so here we have the first ism, syncretism, and it's a disaster. Desperate churches trying to play the game Let's just go along with people. And let's make it a little easier for them. People don't respect that. They respect people that are true to their cause. The second ism is socialism. Socialism is where you want to take care of the social issues in the culture. And by itself is not a bad thing. So, yeah, it's important. Christians do want to feed people that are hungry. 
They want to care for people that are homeless. My goodness, more orphanages have been built around this world because of the power of the love of Jesus in people's heart. More hospitals, more care facilities, more institutions and places for homeless people, more institutions for the care of even prisoners in a proper way. Yeah, the love of Jesus constrains us to do these social things, but here's the deal. When it becomes socialism and we decide, yeah, that's what we're going to do is feed people, and we forget that that doesn't change people's lives for eternity, and we don't partner that social effort with the power and the message of the gospel and the witness of Christian people as our number one priority in that context of building relationships, then we left out the most important part of the strategy. And so, oh my, it's wonderful to feed people and have a food bank. I've seen so many churches with food banks and nobody mentions Jesus when they're handing out the food. Nobody prays with people. Nobody tries to build a relationship and get into the life of the person. And I'll tell you what, it's just feel good everywhere. Oh, it feels so good to help people because nobody complains to get a handout. And no one's going to turn you off for doing that. Whereas if you start talking about your faith, if you start talking about Jesus, oh yeah, you're going to run the risk. Somebody's going to say, hey, I don't want to hear about that. So if you're afraid of rejection, yeah, feed people. Yep, feed hungry people. Feed people so they're full. Feed people so they get fat, so that they're fat when they go to hell. What kind of gospel is that? It's called the social gospel. And it's one part of a great strategy to feed people. But it's not mission, not the mission of Jesus. Because the mission of Jesus shares the love of Jesus and all that God has for people to become disciples. So is fat your mission? Or is love your mission plus eternity? Number three-ism is institutionalism. So many churches have become an institution, and in truth, Christianity in the form of your local church and your life is supposed to be a mission movement. It's a movement, not an institution. Everything centered around some building. No, Jesus said, go, not y'all come. It's not about all that stuff. It's not about programs that we try to do at that building. It's about how we live our lives and our social networks and how we are missionaries to those people that need to know about Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's another ism that's killing us and killing our churches. And it's collectively killing our ability to have impact on this horrible situation of our nation. The fourth ism is traditionalism. And I know I'm going to step on some people's toes because we all have traditions and we get used to things. You know, if my wife moves the clothes hamper and I got to look around and find where to put my dirty clothes, it is very likely I'll say to her, why did you move the clothes hamper? It's my confession. She rearranges the furniture sometimes in our living room. And I say, how come you move the furniture around? You know what? It's just normal not to like change. But I'll tell you what, if somebody tells me we got to change something for the sake of the power of the gospel to be effective people for Jesus in mission, that change trumps my feelings every time. Or I'm not a Christian. I am not sold out to the gospel. I am not sold out to my Jesus. If I put my discomfort above that, I got something wrong at the very heart of my faith. 
And so this traditionalism, this fourth ism, we continue these worn out traditions, whether it's our buildings or our pews or whatever it is. I mean, so many churches I go into call their entryway a narthex. What the heck is a narthex? I had one pastor tell me, yeah, it sounds like a feminine protection. Well, that's an unforgettable comment. But you know, lost people have no clue what that means. We talk about Advent. Like, what is that? Come on, can you translate that into modern language? You certainly can. You absolutely can. Every single word that most people don't know about, including a number of people in church, just try it sometime. Put out a little survey questionnaire and ask people in church, the people that come all the time, what does the word hallelujah mean? Because you use it all the time. And what you're going to find out is very few people know that in our language today, those people who said hallelujah as Jesus came into Jerusalem on, on a donkey on Palm Sunday, that word hallelujah, properly translated in today's English, hooray for God, hooray for Yahweh, hooray for the Lord. Nobody knows what Yahweh means anymore either. You got to translate it. You hang on to the feel-good stuff because you don't want to change. I get that. But Jesus trumps change every time. So you watch out because if you want your church to make an impact, you got to deal with syncretism, socialism, institutionalism, and traditionalism. Don't you think Jesus might be upset? Don't you think I might be? <laughs> hey, I'm speaking a hard word in love here. What's important to me is, are you upset? Can you get upset? Can the people in your church get upset about the lousy job we're doing? We are complicit. We are complicit in this national tragedy. Now, that's the rant. In episode two, we'll get into some of the solutions beyond the isms. We're going to talk about what we can do. See you next time. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.